0: All right, let's go on. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Bayou Dragon podcast. Me, Mitch, are on it per usual. And uh, we have a special guest that's already been a special guest before, actually, on our first episode. Old Andrew Austin, as we call him, Swamp Seeker. Oh, yeah. Andrew, so how you been since we last seen you? <coughs> been been good. Um been enjoying the
1: yeah, the the podcast, you know. Y'all are getting a feel for it now and it's each
0: episode gets better and better. Yeah, I think we're finally starting to figure it out. Yeah. It uh we're getting a lot of good feedback, a lot of trash feedback, so any feedback honestly is good.
2: Yeah, any feedback is good. I particularly enjoy the trash feedback myself. <laughs> yeah. The, the people
0: that say we're getting paid for this and uh we don't know what we're doing i i'm like yes keep commenting those are the best ones but uh i wanted to start out today with uh so a lot of people hopefully y'all follow andrew a lot don't he uh is a herpetologist and animal wildlife biologist and a bunch of other different acronyms underneath his name but i was a uh, very curious andrew on a uh, you were in Belize, stationed in Belize for school or work or Yeah, whatever it was for quite some time. I just kinda wanted to pick your brain on that first. You can say where you were and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I worked
1: uh I worked with alligators and crocodiles here in southeast Texas. I grew up in the bayou catching alligators and stuff and I really liked working with that that group of animals. You know, they're they're so significant culturally in many areas of the world. They they people eat them. Here in Southeast Texas, people like to to hunt them and eat them. And uh, I've just always been really interested in 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 alligators and crocodiles and and um, but I never worked with any in the wild, any crocodiles in the wild until I went to Belize. I did an internship there when I was 20 years old, um, about six years ago. And uh, yeah, flew down there. Never really been out of the country. I, mean, I went to Mexico once to deer hunt, but. Um, that didn't really count. I just went right across the border, but um, went way down south of the border into Belize, which is just south of Mexico, tiny little country, and uh, linked up with the Crocodile Research Coalition. They do work down there. They they go out and they they do population surveys. They go out and catch crocodiles the the Morelets crocodiles and the American crocodiles, two different species down there. And uh, yeah, man, it was badass. Found myself that first night, you know, shining for crocs and. It felt like home. It felt like the Bayou, but and you get close, you see this this crocodile is like bright yellow. There's different different sounds out there in those swamps, and just smells different. It's just I don't know. It's so so cool, man. It was it was badass.
2: I don't I don't think people really truly understand the difference between alligators and croco- crocodiles. How much more aggressive uh, crocodiles are than alligators?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the species I was working with, you know, they don't they're about the same size as an alligator. Aggression is similar. Um, they're not like the Nile crocodiles in Africa or the saltwater crocodiles in Australia. Um, so, yeah, they're. I mean, they're were they were pretty familiar to me, you know, when you actually catch them. You know, we did ho- use hook and line, you know, casting out, snagging them, bringing them into the boat, um, taking measurements on them and putting pit tags on them for long-term monitoring. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, the main, main ways to tell the difference between the alligators and the, cro- and the crocodiles is, is um you know the head shape? Alligators have the big big rounded jaws, and crocodiles have more of the V-shaped jaw, and the colors different, and behavior's different too. But um, when you're out there catching them, it's a lot of it's the same, you know. That um, <clears throat> where were you in Belize? A certain? <clears throat> I was in the Chicken bowl Forest Reserve. Um, it's a big wildlife area, really remote, most remote place I've been in the world. Um. And those crocodiles hadn't seen people ever, so that a lot of times we would just roll up on them. We didn't even have to use a rod and reel. We'd just roll up on them, use a, we'd use a, uh, you know, a lasso um, on a catch pole and just rope them up, drag them into the boat, tape their jaws, and uh, yeah, collect data and then release them, and um, yeah, that was one place in the world where you, you get the sense that there's just no human presence at all, except maybe some native people, but it was, it was a wild place. You when know. you
2: say collect data, what, like, what kind of data are y'all collecting on these things?
1: <clears throat> we take measurements, uh, you know, the, the overall length of the animal, the mass, um, head, head length, head width, um, some basic, we call it morphometric data, just um, different, several different measurements just to kind of track their growth rate over time. If we catch them again, we can, um, since they'll have a pit tag, we can ID that animal and see if they're growing well and if they're healthy um, that, that's kind of the basic stuff in wildlife studies is, is uh, kind of long-term monitoring. You know, you pit tag them and recapture them, and it can tell you a lot about the health of that, that resource, whatever you're studying. Waterfowl are the same way. They, they, uh, they put trackers on waterfowl and catch them over and over again, and they can, or hunters bring them in after they harvest them, and that gives you a lot of good information on the health of that, of that species or that resource that you're studying. Um, so, yeah, same way they study waterfowl, they do a lot of the same things that they, uh, to study crocodiles. Did you deal with a lot of the natives? I <laughs> did not, but um, where we were at, um, we were camping out in these, these, these um, camps way deep in the jungle, and those camps were established for, to protect scarlet macaws, those big red parrots you see in pet stores. Oh, yeah. The Guatemala, we are really close to the Guatemala border, and uh, the Guatemalans would cross the border, and they would climb these trees that are like these big maho- uh, mahoganies, They were like freaking 200 feet tall. Big old growth trees, and they would climb up. You can see where there are marks on the trees where they were using these cleats to climb up them, and they would steal the chicks and sell them in the pet trade. So these uh, Belizean rangers go out there and they guard the nest with. They all had shotguns on them, and and uh, they get into altercations. The Guatemalans are usually carrying like a twenty-two or something, and it's not real serious uh, violence, but I mean there there is some stuff down there. And it was you know we're sleeping in hammocks, and there's a jaguar roaming around. You don't know poachers are going to come into camp. It felt, it felt different than here in, here in Texas, for well, sure.
0: Yeah, I'd shit my pants <laughs> if a jaguar just woke up next to me in a hammock. All right. And, yeah. I mean, have you ever gotten in a hammock with anyone? Don't get in one with your family members. All right. For sure. You'd be a lot closer. Cousins, for sure.
2: When, yeah. uh, so when you sex a crocodile, is it the same way as sexing an alligator? Yeah, yeah. You just stick your finger up
1: in there. There's something there. It's a male. If there's nothing there, it's a female. So pretty, when you pretty you, simple, you have to explain. I mean, you insert your finger <laughs> into what yeah, the cloaca, the cloaca, so with birds and so birds and crocodiles are very close relatives. A, a crocodiles are closer relative to a bird than it is to a snake. So they, they have what we call a cloaca. That's the the do it all hole. That's where the reproductive parts are. That's where they shit, they piss. Everything comes out. this one hole, and yeah, you just shove your finger up in there and uh, smell it. it. Yeah, you know, smells <laughs> good. If there's something there, yeah, you know well, I've
2: I've uh, sexed a couple of alligators when uh, we were helping Sarge catch some, and you say smell it, but, like, it smelled like my hand. Like, I wasn't, like, smelling my hand or nothing, but it smelled kind of chalky to me. Like, I don't know. I got, like, a chalky smell from it. Must it must have been an old-ass alligator. <laughs> it could have been. Old, dusty-ass. I've I mean, never smelled a chalky smell. That's what I was but. smelling it, uh, <laughs> unintentionally smelling right. that odor. I bet you
0: put a dip in with the same hand. Yeah. Uh,
2: it might have happened. Uh oh.
0: While you were down there, Andrew, did you, uh, because I know you're very horny for snakes, and was there anything new you got to see snake-wise? Were they venomous, not venomous? I mean. Yeah, I saw some
1: snakes. You'd be surprised, you know, the most snakes I ever see are here in in, uh, Jefferson and Chambers County Southeast Texas. Anywhere I've been in the U.S. or down in Central America, the snake density here is so high, like. There are places in Chambers County around Anahuac where I can cruise down one road at the right time of year, find 40 snakes of 12 species. I only found six snakes in Belize. and and
0: Anything new, or were they, they were shit all, you?
1: They were all new. Um, there are species down there that that range into Texas. I saw a speckled racer, which ranges into south South Texas, um, which was kind of cool. They have indigo snakes down there. They call them crebos, and they, they're a different species, but pretty much the same. I saw a fertilance, which... Kills more people than any other snake in South America. Highly venomous. It's like a cottonmouth on steroids. It gets seven feet long. Big, big pit viper. Um, Damn. Yeah, it, was, it was cool. It was, uh, but I was surprised by how, by how uh, rare snakes were. Like I thought I was going to be finding all kinds of snakes, but um, there weren't that many. That's interesting. Yeah. I just
0: I knew you'd be looking, I was looking. regardless. Yeah. Did you do any um, extracurricular activities while you are down there? Like, where you did you get to do any kind of bird hunting or I mean, anything like that? No, I drank a lot oh. <laughs> in the free time. They have uh, some cool bars down there,
1: yeah. But well, so I spent, um, I was only down there for about two weeks, spent the, almost a full week in the forest, um, really remote. It was weird down there. Like, we're driving in from this town called San Ignacio, it's in like uh, central Belize, going going south, and we went to this. This pine land, it looked like East Texas. Pine trees, grasses, white-tailed deer running around. It's like a, back in East Texas. There's oscillated turkeys running around, which are a pretty cool bird. Um, I know in Mexico they hunt them. I don't know if they... Hunting in Belize is different. They're not, they are not—they don't really have a good sustainable use program yet for hunting and, and, and farming wildlife. But um, it was really strange. And then we were driving like two or three hours through Pine Forest, seeing white-tailed deer. And then we get to the McCall River, and right on the other side is like the Amazon, like broadleaf rainforest, um, these big these big mammals called tapirs, they look like a rhinoceros, but a smaller version. Um there was monkeys out there, like macaws. It was like a totally different area, but it was split by one river. It was like really,
0: really strange for me. Yeah. I'm still pissed due to COVID and the last hurricane, I was supposed to go down to the Amazon. Me and Doug and a couple other guys had a trip, p- paid in full, peacock bass fishing trip, and we are going to uh, stay on those floating bungalows or barges or whatever and just go for seven days down the Amazon and just peacock bass fish every day. And I even got the baits and all kinds of shit still that they sent beforehand and then COVID hit and had to cancel it. But I was looking really forward to being down there and seeing that kind of shit.
1: That sucks, man. That, that That's a that's a trip of a lifetime. Um, we have some badass hunting and fishing here in, here in the United States, North America. But you never get as wild here because we, you know, we came here, we it. settled it, we settled the land, we farmed the land, we manage our resources very intensively. We have a very sustainable program here. The North American model of conservation is a consumptive use where we can hunt game very sustainably, but... Man, when you go down to the Amazon, those are areas that are untouched by man. Just yeah. the wild,
2: pristine condition, you know. Yeah, shit's getting ranchy down there. Yes, yeah. You were definitely in your element there for sure. Huh? Oh,
1: yeah. In Belize, yeah. I, I was, And I went back um, a couple of years later, did some more croc work, and I'm good friends with those people. And so I kind of just go down whenever and, and volunteer and um, go down to catch crocodiles. And it's it was kind of cool because – you know they're they're very good at catching crocodiles down there but you know I come from a hunting and fishing background and I provided a lot of a lot of uh, expertise on like you know catching an alligator or c- catching a crocodile with a rod and reel that's a very it's a very crafty thing you got to do it's like you can pick the biggest fish in the sea that people fish for and this is even harder you know like it's very hard to 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 snag and catch a crocodile and reel it all the way in um but my hunting and fishing background came in handy which kind of cool yeah
0: I've seen you in your element before that that time we went out to uh, Sour Lake with Sarge and went uh, frogging. Remember we're neck deep in that big pond? I have no clue where we were, but Andrew was just tickled pink the whole time, just neck deep in water. And I fell in like a hole, and he's like, he feels. He goes, "Oh, that's an alligator hole." I'm just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just over here just wading around with some mamas. I love the swamp.
2: We haven't been frogging in a while. Me and Andrew were talking about that earlier. We used to, we used to frog a lot. Like, yeah, like not every weekend, but you know, a couple of times a month, we'd go frogging and really tear them up. Yeah, yeah,
0: back when Jenny just moved back, but back when Jenny was on her property, I'd go quite often with her, smashing frogs.
2: Now, I don't know, um, you know, there we have a diverse uh, listening community, but fried frog legs or. They're very good, immaculate. Yeah, a delicacy. That's the word I was looking for. Fried uh, frog legs are a delicacy around that, here. It's
0: the real white meat. People say chicken is not nah, frog mm-hmm. legs, bro. Frog legs are so good, and you know I'm a I'm a reptile
1: and amphibian lover, but I love to hunt frogs. <laughs> they taste good. They're numerous. You can never you could never overharvest the bullfrog. No, they breed rapidly. They you could wipe out a population and they'll be back a year later because they're they just just bang it out. Yeah, they, they, they've laid hundreds and thousands of eggs and they're highly successful. Yeah, dude, just, just go to every
0: golf course in man. North America. You're going to, you could just have an abundance.
2: Uh, Andrew, what's your favorite wild game to, to eat? Shit, yeah, probably frog legs. <laughs> I think so? Probably frogs.
1: I mean, just for a easy to clean, I mean, you don't get a lot of meat off of them, but if you go out and harvest, you know, 60, 70 frogs, they taste good. They're just tender. Um but yeah, you know, a pentail is good too. But
2: yeah, Andrew's one of those guys where he is not gonna let anything on that animal that he harvests goes to waste. i oh, he'll eat everything, I mean, penis and all. You, <laughs> you've eaten a venison heart, correct? Oh yeah. I, I love heart. Oh, I would you've never, never waste another you've heart. Never had, no, I just I'm I'm remembering a photo I saw of Andrew holding a heart up of a venison, and I just thought it was funny. No, oh, that's but, uh, fantastic. I, I've never eaten the heart of a venison. Oh, dude, the the white tail. <laughs> The that Venison. photo, man. I wish I could find it. Do you have it? I
1: have just, it? Uh, somewhere in my Snapchat stories. I'll or put it up in the, uh, the
2: in the video. Yeah. Just I'll let it come up. In this, the in the That's what we need to start
0: doing on this. We're gonna as we get better at this, we'll have we're telling stories and talking about old times or whatever the hell we're talking about. We'll have you know something to just kind of prove our point.
2: We have uh, most of the things we talk about. We have photo documentation. To back it up you know or
0: video documentation what's even better right, right. um back on how you love reptiles and amphibians uh i know i know i imagine you have not but out of all the species in north america do you think you've caught at least a dent of all of them mm, not
1: really we got a lot of species even texas i haven't really put a dent um we got around eighty species of snakes right here in Texas because Texas is so big. And you start on one side of Texas, you start in the pine forest, swamps. You go west, you hit the hill country, and then you get out all the way to the desert. And then we got the coastal marshes. Then you have tundra. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You get high, there's some high elevation stuff out in the Davis Mountains where it's it's influenced by elevation. You know, it's not. I wouldn't call it proper tundra, but it's, you know, it's, it's, ele- it's definitely influenced by a higher elevation. We call them sky islands out there. Cause it's like an island in the desert of just cooler, wetter. There's unique reptiles and amphibians up there, rock rattlesnakes and stuff out in the Chihuahuan desert. Um, but in Southeast Texas, I've caught most of the snakes. Um, the one I have left is the pygmy rattlesnake. It's a really hard snake to find. Um, a couple other odds and ends, but um, I, we have about 30 species in, in, in Jefferson County, and I've caught most of them at this point.
2: And you've been catching snakes for years, if I recall. Um, weren't you struck by a venomous snake years <laughs> ago in your in your early snake catching days?
1: Yeah, I meant to cover that on that on that first time I came on. We we're talking about snake bites. I got bit by a copperhead up at Sam Rayburn on a family vacation, and uh, went out walking the roads at night before I could drive. Usually when I go look for snakes, I go road cruising. You go drive down a back road in the summer or the spring, and the snakes just cross, and they're, you can cover a lot of ground. It's the most efficient way to catch a lot of snakes. But back then I was walking the roads and found this copperhead, and I uh, got my pictures and everything, and went to move it off. bit me on the pointer finger, and that was, you know, just a copperhead. Copperheads, they're a pretty mild snake uh, venom-wise, and I wasn't freaking out. My, my best friend Dylan um, – he was kind of jacked up about it. <laughs> he didn't really know what to think. But as we were walking out of there, right after I got bit, I, was, I mean, I was kind of flustered about it. A game warden pulled up. and You're not allowed to hunt snakes from a roadway in, in Texas. It's illegal because it's considered hunting from a roadway, which is kind of dumb. They do that because, you know, they don't want people hunting deer and game, game species, but snakes, uh, it's dumb, whatever. A game warden pulled up. So I had been bit at this point and he's like, what are you, what are you boys doing or whatever? It's like, oh, we're just hiking around, and I'm, like, freaking out because I got bit by a copperhead, and um, I, did, I ended up not telling them. I probably should have because it ended up taking an hour to walk back, and by the time I got to the hospital, it had been, you know, three or four hours. I had to go down to Jasper. Um, got two vials of anti-venom. <laughs> it wasn't near as expensive as your bite. <laughs> yeah. You probably had 10-plus vials So different. Of
2: different snakes have different types of venom. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what are, go through some of the different types of venom and how they affect you when they when they bite you. How does it affect your body?
1: <clears throat> so,
2: just lo- of, I would say local yeah, snakes. Yeah, right? You know, you don't have to go into everything.
1: Right. So here in, in Southeast Texas, we have um, we have rattlesnakes. We have Western Diamondbacks on the beach, mainly in Galveston. They're really dense there. There's more rattlesnakes there than anywhere else I've seen. But we have Western Diamondbacks. We have pygmy rattlesnakes, timber rattlesnakes, copperheads, cottonmouths. Those are our pit vipers. And they have hemotoxins that mainly rots flesh. Um, You know, you can lose a finger Um, if you get bit on the finger. You can easily lose a finger just from the rot. It's called necrosis. Just breaks down your flesh. But then you got the the coral snake, and that's a neurotoxin that that affects your nervous system. So all sorts of stuff can start shutting down. You can you know stop breathing. And it um, the coral snake bite is 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 a bad bite, but they don't typically bite very many people because they're really shy they don't really come up they're very uh they spend most of their time underground and they're, they're kind of hard to come by and they don't they're not typically you know typically they're not very aggressive and um so bites are rare and deaths are very rare but if you get bit by one you might have some complications with your nervous system um and your respiratory system it's more of an internal thing you know the bite the bite um location wherever you get bit it's not going to rot away like a copperhead or a cottonmouth but or rattlesnake but it's going to affect your uh, yeah you'll fitness. shit your pants probably yeah maybe but um they don't even make the anti venom for coral snakes cuz the bites are so rare. Uh, but it's so not the, if
2: you get bit by a coral snake, i mean you just kind of ride it out or what? No, i mean
1: you go to the hospital. It's not the end of the world. I mean, i grew up knowing the coral snake as like the snake that's going to kill you no matter what. In the grand scheme of things, you know, compared to snakes in other parts of the world, they're pretty I mean, they're not that big of a deal. Um, but they're are, are only a lapid, so they're in the family a, a same family as cobras and sea crates, which are some of the most highly venomous snakes in the world. Um, so they do have a pretty toxic venom, but they're such a small snake, they don't produce much venom. So if you get bit by one, it's not the end of the world, but um, they are renowned as being our most venomous snake here in this area, for sure.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of anyone getting bit by one. Like you said, I just remember growing up, they're like, red and black, a friend of Jack, black and yellow, kill a fellow.
1: Or red red touch, yellow, kill a fellow. Oh, yeah, okay. Same difference. Right. But the thing is, the, the, the milk snake that mimics the coral snake is so rare in this area. If you see a a snake with the three colors, the red, the black, and the yellow, it's probably a coral snake. They're pretty common around around southeast Texas. In the springtime when it's raining a lot, they become really active. Um, But right now we're in a drought, and, I mean, it's hard to find any snakes right now. My snake trap, if anybody remembers where I caught the rat snake, I haven't caught a single snake since because it's so dry. So dry conditions are not good for snake hunting, um, which can make people feel better, you know, if they're worried about snakes going out in the outdoors. If it's dry, probably not going to see very many.
0: Yeah, well, especially around where we live, yeah. I mean, down in South Texas, you know, where it's dry all the time, you might get those big Western Diamondbacks, or I guess that's what they are. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: Western Diamondbacks for sure.
0: Big son of a bitches. Yeah, they get big. They even have a uh, they have a hunt. I know of like big rattlesnake hunt. I don't know how you feel about that or whatever roundup round yeah, the the roundup. But they actually when they kill them, they eat them. They clean them and they you know properly you know, execute yeah. the whole species. Right.
1: I mean, I have a few comments about that. You know, I'm a hunter. I'm a hunter first always, but I'm also a conservationist and all hunters should think of themselves that way. And the way we manage game species is really good. And we have limits. Um, we have certain take methods. You can't go out and, you know, uh, shoot deer from a roadway. You can't, you can't like go hunt them with a spear. Um, you can't gas them. The thing with rattlesnakes, they can literally pour gas down a burrow. It could be a tortoise burrow. It could be a uh, armadillo burrow and they'll gas these rattlesnakes out and um, I think they probably should outlaw that they should probably ban that um, they should probably have some sort of limit because they, they they do harvest hundreds of thousands of rattlesnakes and the western diamondback is very prolific they're all across the state very common but in the areas where they're getting hit hard I mean they seem to be declining those rattlesnake uh, they're called JCs, the guys that go out and catch them they got to go to new areas all the time because they're not they're not harvesting them sustainably. So I would I would like to see Parks and Wildlife come up with some sort of like manage them more like a game species. They can still do the roundup, but the gassing should definitely be banned. Um,
2: you so. you made a comment. You're a hunter first, right? So a lot of these, a lot of the anti hunters, what they don't understand is that um, we are a big reason why conservation in the United States is so um, well managed and successful. I mean. We were talking about it a while back. The money we spend on our hunting license every year, our fishing license, there's a percentage of that. You probably know the exact percentage that goes into, you know, conservation of waterfowl and you know conservation of other species. Yeah, everything, every permit and license you buy
1: is going to go into wildlife conservation. Whether it's paying the game warden and biologist salaries, which is important, that's conservation. Um, we need those people around, or directly to habitat restoration, which is. If you hunt and fish, you want to restore habitat. You can't hunt and fish without habitat. Um, but yeah, this really the story of wildlife in, in North America was in like the 1800s. They had these market hunts. They're going out killing thousands of waterfowl at a time for the markets. And um, you know, white-tailed deer were were down to just a couple hundred left in Texas, or maybe a couple thousand in the most remote areas. White-tailed deer almost disappeared from the Texas landscape during the market era, and it was. Hunters. It was conservation-minded hunters. Teddy Roosevelt, um, Otto Leopold, these the fathers of conservation. They were hunters, and it was they, they they saw the problem with the market hunts because they they weren't they weren't harvesting the game sustainably. So they were the ones that called for limits and um, to, to to study these species so we can hunt them sustainably, not you know let the market hunters wipe them out you
0: know for good. Yeah, Theodore Roosevelt was huge on that which we all have a lot of thanks to him. Mm-hmm. He basically said the best conservationist is a hunter because mm-hmm. he was a avid hunter, yep. you know, it mostly, you know, big game animals, but he was, he said for sure, we don't need to get rid of that.
1: Right. And Teddy Roosevelt, he was also a naturalist. You know, he, in his childhood, he was very passionate about going out collecting bird specimens and um, using taxidermy techniques to preserve them and to, to bring him to a museum so biologists can study him he was all around a, a an awesome wildlife you know professional which is kind of cool he was our you know president at one point um and he was yeah he was a hunter he, a lot of the big game specimens you see the biggest natural history museums in the United States were some of his specimens that he hunted in Africa um which is pretty cool you know but hunting is a is a big part
2: we definitely need a taxidermist in our inner circle. <laughs> yeah,
0: we yeah. do. We Right now, well, we have like five birds we want to get. Um, we have one right in the freezer right over there that uh, Mitch shot this year. It was a, uh, We thought it was like a type of Ross Goose or something, but it was a lesser snow. And uh, on the band, it said 13-plus years.
2: Man, that That's band, cool. that was the coolest band I've ever seen. It's all wore down, you know, that bird – Man, I to that bird the, seen some shit. I had to look at the certificate to see uh where it was banded, but it was way up in Canada, uh, like way north of Canada. That's yeah, awesome. He that's a really cool. Flew all the way down to southeast Texas rice field. It was weird. blasted.
0: I, um I believe it starts on I, I don't want to lie, someone will start bashing, but it was where like Delta waterfowl does their main deal at like Manitoba Monato- or whatever. I'd, the I'd have to Manitoba go.
2: certificate. Manitoba. I forgot where it was banded, but it was. I mean, way up there. But uh, man, anytime you shoot a band, it's just awesome for us. Anyway, we don't get to shoot that many down here. I mean, we we've, we've shot a couple over the years, but we don't have a lanyard full or anything. So anytime we harvest a band, we go crazy. Yeah,
1: um snow geese, they they got a, a very impressive migration. You know, they're spending that time in the all the way up in the the tundra. North Canada, uh, you know, up in the Arctic Circle, and they're migrating all the way down here to the marsh. It's crazy, the the ground they cover.
0: Yeah, it's, it's insane whenever we see, like, so, like, me and Mitch have a two-week Montana trip coming up in November with old CC duck call, and, uh, like, you'll, those greater Canadians, Canada's, sorry for anyone going to be like, they're Canada geese. Uh, when they're down here in the marsh, it's like, dude, you just traveled a minute it took me 24 hours to get there in vehicle like it took you months boy it's cool but um it's uh trying to think if there's any more reptile questions oh one have you seen the shit um in florida the the python hunting they do like out of the airboat like yeah. where they jump out and just grab them yeah
1: yeah, I've been down there and I found one dead on the road. I didn't get one alive. I want to go back and, and find one, but um, yeah, the Burmese pythons are are a big issue down there. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems in conservation right now is invasive species, not just animals but plants too. Here in Southeast Texas, we have tallow trees just taking over marshes and prairies. But in Florida, they got the Burmese python, which is you know eating native waterfowl. It's eating native reptiles and amphibians and alligators and I mean, this is an animal that's adapted to, you know, Southeast Asia, and they thrive in the Everglades. So they came up with a hunting program, a management program, to go, to get people out there to hunt them and try to try to control them. But the, the thing that sucks is they're never going to get rid of them. But it's kind of like hogs here in Texas. We're never going to get rid of them, but we each cog you kill is a good thing, you know, because it's going to save however many native species. Um, they're just these ecosystems. They they they, they they form under very specific conditions, and when a when a, a new species comes in, everything's like, "What the hell is
0: this? We can't. We don't know how to deal with this shit," you know. Yep. So, what I wanted to bring up, and I thought it was really interesting, and a lot of people, what? Well, you might be able to answer this better. So, there's a show that just, or a, a, a movie. movie, a movie, a documentary, maybe documentary movie that came out, and. Was it in every state, or was it just Texas? Just Texas. Uh, So, just Texas. It was called Deep in the Heart, and it was a documentary about the wildlife and animals of Texas, and Matthew McConaughey narrated it. And I haven't seen it yet. Mitch hasn't seen it yet. Definitely going to see it. Looks fantastic. But wanted Andrew to kind of talk about it because – he kind of played a part in that movie, so I figured he would have a good <laughs> little tale about it. A very small part. I I, I got hired for
1: one week. Um, they were filming in every every region in Texas, and when they got to the East Texas portion, they were looking for local biologists. And um, I had been keeping up with the it's the Fin and Fur film crew. Um, ben Masters is the is the mastermind behind all of it. Um, awesome conservationist and amazing director and cinematographer um he people might know him from unbranded uh, a show on netflix a couple years ago where they took horses through the rocky mountains from mexico to canada really cool but um yeah they they wanted to produce a film that covered all the coolest texas wildlife spectacles um so they you know they filmed cougars in west texas black bear bison in the panhandle um, they came down here to East te- Southeast Texas to film in the Big Thicket to kind of cover the the story of the Piney Woods, how it was it was all cut down and then it was restored, um, and redfish in, in the bays and um, different Guadalupe bass or Texas state fish, um, bats, all sorts of stuff, and kind of woven into it is a is a is a conservation story, kind of the story of Texas wildlife, and it's it's the cinematography is phenomenal. The narration by Matthew McConaughey is impeccable. Um, If you've you've ever seen Planet Earth, it's basically the same thing, but Texas. And instead of David Attenborough, it's Matthew McConaughey. All
2: right, all right, all right. Texas edition, Planet Earth.
1: Exactly. And, um, you know, for for an independent film, um, it's done really well. They had a, a theatrical release, they call it. So it was in theaters in Texas, 70 theaters in Texas, It'll be on Amazon Prime uh, in mid July. I think July sixteenth. It'll be on Amazon Amazon Prime, uh, Apple TV,
0: and, and Google Play. So
2: right now it's only in theaters, right? It's only in
0: theaters, and it's not released anywhere else. So anybody listening to this that's out of state, and when it does go live on you know all the streaming platforms, y'all definitely need to watch it. Yeah. Kind of see what I mean. State's huge, but see kind of what we're what we get to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. They they. They covered some of the
1: coolest stuff. Um, people may not know what an ocelot is, but it's a small cat that's native to Texas. It used to range throughout most of Texas, but now it's only found down in South Texas in the brush country, and they're surviving on these ranches that, um, here in Texas, a lot of our wildlife is, is held up in these ranches. As long as they're, they're ranching for cattle, they're benefiting wildlife, and um, that's a big part of it, um, and so they, get, they got the very first real footage of ocelots, they're a very secretive cat. And they look like a, like a miniature jaguar. Um, I've never heard of them. Yeah, I mean, that, they have big ears. Yeah, they're they're amazing animals. Um, so that's a big highlight of it. They have scenes of redfish, um, you know, schooling in, in, in Matagorda Bay or somewhere down south. Mm. Uh, they got white-tailed deer. They got the rut down in south Texas of big bucks fighting it out. It's very dramatic. It's, it's, fucking, it's badass. I hear yeah.
2: they really highlight the alligator gar in that
1: movie. Alligator like, gar, a big part of it. They got alligator gar spawning these, these seven-foot females with these smaller males courting the female fighting for breeding rights kind of um, in these, these floodplains on the Trinity River. Um, they, they covered some really cool stuff. And it for me, it was, just, it was really an honor to have any part in it. You know, I only worked on the East Texas portion for the most part. I, I met him out in West Texas for a few of the
2: rattlesnake shots. And, um, so some of your shots made the screen, huh?
1: Well, they, they wouldn't have been my shots. It would have been, so basically I was going out, um, like when they came to the big thicket, I was guiding them around, showing them different stuff, kind of giving them the, the kind of teaching them about the wildlife in the area and kind of giving them something to create a story out of it because it's all got to fit into the story that they're creating for Texas wildlife. And so I'd go out and we'd go hike around and teach them about the, 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 the ecosystems there. And, and uh, I would catch, you know, snakes and, and frogs and stuff and they would take, take really cool shots of those um and yeah it was it was really cool it was one of the coolest things I've done in my career and um it was really inspiring too that when you watch it it's just man, it gets you pumped up you know
0: I know the answer but I know there's gonna be people that are wondering did you meet Matthew McConaughey
1: did not meet Matthew McConaughey (laughs) I went I went to a private screening in Austin and um I figured he would be there but he wasn't there would have been cool you know I'm not really starstruck by celebrities but He's a cool dude, you know. I, I would have been cool. Well, I
0: respect him. that he did this yeah, exactly. Like, so that that shows what kind of person he is. If he wanted to take a job where he narrates about the wildlife and yeah. the conservation of Texas wildlife and whatnot, I just, uh, I know someone's gonna be like, Did he meet Matthew McConaughey? Yeah.
2: Did they talk about hunting at all of any species?
0: Yeah. So when they were,
1: <clears throat> they start out um, with bison and kind of going into the story of wildlife, kind of what I covered earlier, how it started out with the, the market hunts um, wiped out bison and other, you know, waterfowl and other white-tailed deer, all these different species, and it, w- it was um, in, the mo- in the movie they they describe them as conservation-minded sportsmen, or the ones that called for conservation measures to be put in place, and that's what brought the white-tailed deer back from a couple thousand to now five million white-tailed deer in, in the state of Texas, a huge conservation
0: success story uh, for hunters. That uh, yeah, I. People don't realize how much uh, hunters do for conservation. Like, I listen to one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm saying, like, podcast episodes ever, was when Joe Rogan had Donnie Vincent on, you know, and he talks about one time in, like, well, I'm going to mess this up, but it was, like, in Montana or Minnesota or somewhere up north. They totally, the people that hunt stopped the whitetail hunting for that year because it was such a bad snow. So what they did, they no one took any game and they, like, bulldozed sections of property and land on private property where they could at least, you know, sleep and eat and, you know, made sure that they survived the winter because it was so harsh. Yeah. Which is respectable. Like, that we would give up the one thing that we love looking forward to every year. It's like, well, I'd rather do this the rest of my life than this one season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, i I get that, and that's kind of the same way with Texas Parks and Wildlife. Every few years, we'll adjust a duck hunt limit. It's like know. the
2: pintail limit, right? you know.
0: That, yeah. that that is on a federal level, but yeah, same same thing. Yeah, um, you're definitely the right. man to know. I just know <laughs> no, I just, when it gets the pintail levels too, yeah. I mean, there has to be a a valid reason why. Right. For us, you know, like we've had multiple hunts where it's. The first thing in the morning, you have, say, p- four people in the blind. You're done. First yep. first flock of birds comes in. Okay, well, we can't shoot no more pintails. I thought <laughs>
2: pintail yeah. was one now, wasn't isn't
0: it? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. We shoot four pintails in oh, the yeah, first exactly wave. The yeah. And, well, I mean, hell, that one Carter hunt, we had to wait, like, for five or six flocks before we even got anything else. So Those was pintail. We shot them all. And it was like,
2: at what point do they start? So, Pintel, when we first started hunting, we could harvest two, and now it's one. So, at what point do they be like, okay, now we can shoot two again? Are they, are they monitoring the population? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. pretty closely.
1: Yeah, they, they have really good data on on waterfowl. They they have nesting data. They have um, data from hunters from the banding that they do, um, and they look at this data over over long term trends, and they can see. Um, Roughly, what the population is like. They can't. The thing about doing wildlife research is, you're never going to get an exact estimate. You got to use these methods to get to to look at trends over time, and that's that's what they go off of. So, you know, when you see there's a bunch of pintail in the marsh, that doesn't necessarily mean that pintail are really abundant. Um, it's not because that's not an overall trend. It's just you know you had, you had one experience.
0: Yeah, well, that's the we have a central fly zone down here, and where we are at is basically. Honestly, the last spot before they hit Mexico and are chilling on a beach, drinking margaritas and whatnot, having Ray-Bans on. <laughs> but, I mean, they make it all the way north from north to south, and then they kind of coagulate right here because we have such a heavy feeding ground with all the rice and all the marsh grass and shit like that. So, yep. I mean, I could see why we,
2: you know, see, see well. a lot more yeah. than... Talking about the migration, I was actually listening to, I don't know, it was a clip or something. There was this guy, he travels all over the country and, and waterfowl hunts. And he was saying that waterfowl hunters in the South are better hunters because they have to be, you know, when you're hunting birds up North, the further North you go, the less they've seen, you know, as they migrate, you got to start, you know, uh, being more creative with the way you lay out your spread, you know, definitely have to be concealed. It's just, you ha- You have to be a better hunter hunting in the South.
0: Well, yeah. and You can see that with just the birds in general. Look at the birds whenever we get to start shooting them in November or whatever. Like Most of them look beat to shit because they've traveled 3,500 miles. Whenever someone in Montana, oh, they traveled 400, you know? Yeah. They do that. They'll do that in a day. They're They're getting a PhD in in hunter avoidance on the migration. By the time they get to us, they definitely know what a – you know, not every time, but they're like, "Oh, that ain't that's a decoy, that's a mojo." Yeah. By the end of the season, we won't even put out a mojo. Yeah. That's just a that's just the flare zone.
1: Yeah, it's interesting
0: that it, uh. So you played a big part. I know you didn't get put in there, but like, I mean, what kind of snakes from around here? Like, cottonmouth or anything like that?
1: Um, they had so a lot of the footage um, I helped with didn't actually make it in. Um, when they make a film like this, they, they film for three years and they had so much footage and they got to, they got to cut, they got to trim the fat off of it. And it's a lot of fat to trim. They, they, um, I don't know if it means much to anybody, but it was like, they had a Q and A after the private screening I went to with uh, the film crew and they had something like a hundred terabytes of data, which is just ungodly fucking crazy. Um, so they have to cut it down and and fit it into the story for a hundred minute film, you know, and, um. So there were a few shots that um, I, I, I was present for, but some of the snakes I caught didn't make it in, but that's just how it goes. But I caught some water snakes, and you know, they got some shots of cottonmouths and stuff, uh, but um, it was just an honor to have any, any involvement at all with it because it's, it's the very first you know planet Earth-style film for Texas wildlife, and really no other state in the United States has a film like this for their state.
0: No, well, Texas is definitely the most proud state right. for sure. For a, good, yeah. for a good reason. And the only state worthy of a, of a blue-chip documentary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hell, uh, Theo Vaughn did a whole deal a few years back on a state war, and I'm pretty sure Texas ended up winning that state war, and he's not even from here. You know, he's just proud. Everybody's proud of Texas, even people that are not from Texas. You can go out of country. Like, I, when I, I went to Denmark a few years back with my wife, and we, uh, people are like, oh, like literally just start talking. They're like, you're from Texas. I was like, can you name four other states, not New York, California, or Florida? And they're like, no. <laughs> Can't name one. <laughs> yeah. They have you, no clue. People
2: know if you're from Texas, if you travel, like, yeah. you know, you go to another country, and we don't notice the way we, we do have a, an accent, for sure, <laughs> well, you know, but we don't notice it yeah. because we, we grew up, and that's how we talk, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, no. And I don't think we even have bad accents compared to some of the people I work with,
2: Jesus
1: <laughs> Christ. Like, wow. East Texans, we're in Southeast Texas, and it's different than, than true East Texans to the north of us. They have way thicker accents. They us. have way
0: thicker <laughs> accent, accents. Then you go, like, east-east, it's like they got a little bit of that coon-ass in them. some yeah. of that Louisiana. Louisiana. It's like,
2: wow. Oh, you can definitely tell <laughs> a Louisiana accent.
0: Oh, dude, I've... So, like, we all work in the plants. I work uh, on the river, so we have tugboats come in all the time. And uh, one of the cap like... 90% of the captains and people that work on those tugboats that come in to where we live in southeast Texas are from Louisiana. So they just, like, they'll call, and it's, oop doob 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 It's like, okay, can you please say that again? I have no clue what you said. Yeah, And everything I have to spell, because, and they'll think I'm dumb, but it's like, can you spell Betsy, like, today? Like, can you spell Betsy? Like, because that was the name of the the tugboat. And they're like, B E T C S E E E. I'm just like, <laughs> and they probably threw an X in there too, yeah. just because that's what that's kidding, every that that's some coon ass shit. <laughs> and we love our Louisiana supporters for sure. Yeah. They just, y'all have some, y'all are gnarly down there, I'll tell you right. that. Most of my family's from there, so.
2: And they know how to cook, though. Oh, yeah.
0: dude. I, I love, uh, I mean, hell, if no. Well, anyone that's listened to us has definitely seen that Uncle Cracker, or Salty Cracker, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, Salty Cracker. Put that on a cracker, dude. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So We've never met him, but I wonder if he actually talks like that. Or, I mean, he probably does, but that bitch looks like he cooks some dank-ass food. Oh, yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And he never cooks for a person or two or ten. It's like, we're making a seventy-five pound jambalaya. He's like, Jesus
2: Christ! Yeah, he cooks for a mass of people every time he cooks, and it'll, it. Every time I see his his videos, or his food just looks so good.
0: Oh no, I, I would love that's somebody we need to have on the oh, podcast. Yeah, be cool. Just have him on the podcast and let him talk about the two step or whatever the hell he does. That it's dude t-
1: talking about coonasses and, and Cajun culture. That's a cool thing about Southeast Texas. We're Texans, but we got we got a, a flare of,
0: of Louisiana in us here. Well, that so cool mix, you know my my grandmother, her daddy, uh, old Borrell, he rode horse like he was born in eighteen eighty eight or something like that, or yeah, eighteen eighty eight. So he rode horseback, you know, to Southeast Texas, set up in Port Acres, Texas, and like started a butcher shop and shit like that. And he was like one of twelve kids, lived in one of those parishes, you know, of Louisiana, and like it just generation. Each one of them learned how to cook. My great-grandmother was from North Louisiana. So I'm glad for all that because they know how to make a gumbo. They know what boudin is. Oh yeah, That etouffee, fricassee. Oh, yeah. Now, sauce pecan. Sauce pecan.
2: Talking about cooking a little bit, I you know, it kind of bothers me a little bit. when When I cook a steak, okay, I love steak. We eat steak all the time. But you got a group of people – that, like, oh, man, you don't eat that steak raw. You don't eat that steak rare. It's trash, man. No, dude, you eat a steak rare. It's very flavorful, very good, medium rare, well, and well done. They're all good. I ain't going to sit there and say, oh, man, you don't eat your steak well done oh or you don't eat your steak rare, trash. Dude, I
0: love steak cooked anyway. Yeah, give me – well, first off, if it's free, give me
2: all of it. (laughs) Every steak there is, give it all to me. Now, my preference is probably medium. Yeah. Medium, medium rare, but how good I was mean,
0: how good was that sous vide the
2: other day? That sous vide was outstanding. Porter got a little sous vide uh, recently, and he's been sous into some. St- porter cooks raw steak. I mean, rare, rare steaks. I and mean, they're good. I'll eat them rare, and but I'll also eat them well done. I I like steak cooked anyway, dude. But those
0: those sous vide man, that that shit is on point, dude. I see that dude, Liver King, eating oh steak Oh my raw. <laughs> god! <laughs> no, not even just steak. I've eaten the a raw steak and hearts, and but that dude is nuts. Now,
2: now, Andrew, you know a lot about all kinds of stuff. What do you think about that? Like eating the raw, uh, the organs in uh, the, in the liver and I'm all a, that. I'm a firm believer in, in
1: eating organs. Um, and I think liver King is cool. I don't know if people listening, uh, know who he is, but he believes in this ancestral way of living <laughs> primals <laughs> primals. Um, you know, a lot of it's bullshit, but I think he actually, I think his philosophy is actually kind of cool, you know, get, get more in tune with the, with the earth, you know, eat, eat shit raw, not for everybody, but but the organ meat is good. Like that's more nutritious than than regular meat. Heart and liver is very fucking good for you. Oh yeah, I
0: yeah. I like anything. I, yeah. like I'm not talking shit on him as in because everything I eat is not cooked at all, like at all. But he, people that hate on him is like, well, he's like 47 years old and looks like a Greek god. So <laughs> yeah. I hope I even mm. look like. Hopefully, I'm alive at his age. Yeah. Honestly, I've done some stupid shit. Yeah. But he loves it. My favorite quote of his is, why eat a vegetable when you can get down on a testicle? I want to eat testicles so bad. (laughs) Next
1: deer I shoot, I'm eating the testicles. Well, I've
0: had testicles, but cooked. Rocky Mountain oysters. That clip is going up for sure. (laughs) That will be a TikTok short for sure.
1: What he was saying is when you eat, any, any of the organs, it benefits the organ. And like if you eat testicle, it, it helps, your helps your testicle, helps your own
0: testicles. You eat liver, it helps your liver. So when it, you
2: do a dine on this testicle, you're talking about you know, increasing sperm count and shit. I'd be white tail yeah. testicle. Right? I don't know
1: if it's true or not, but it, it sounds cool. Yeah. I, better,
2: so, you'll so I probably, better eat a Neil Guy penis or something. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably going to end up eating white tail testicle. Quick. Oh, yeah, guaranteed. So are you yeah. going to cook that in any way? You're just going to eat it raw. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out when I get to that point. A little salt and pepper. Yeah, let's I see. will see.
0: I will get you a, <laughs> I will, on this podcast, if you will, I will get you a whitetail testicle and let you eat it raw. And I'll let you only get what the liver King uses, maple syrup and salt. I'm down. And I, you can eat it on live TikTok. You can yeah. eat it on the podcast. It's out there now. It's got to happen.
2: It's it, going to happen. Gonna oh,
0: happen. no. I'm, I will get a testicle from somewhere. <laughs> if I don't shoot a deer, I got buddies that have to do management. Yeah. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine this past week and, they, they're on this big ranch, and they have to take off, like, 50 doe, you know, a year. And then they have to take off, like, 12 or 14 bucks. And I'll be like, hey, this is a weird. Look, I don't want any of the meat. Just take the nuts off the biggest buck you got.
2: <laughs> hey, if you don't mind, uh, toss a couple of those testicles off to the side for me.
0: Yeah. I just want to see. I mean, I've eaten cow testicle, you know, or calf te- testicle, you know, and old Rocky Mountain oysters, and they're fantastic.
1: But I know Liver King would be disappointed right now as I smoke this
0: dart. <laughs> no, it's fine. No. <laughs> 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 it the ancestral way right here. <laughs> hey, oh, they used to smoke that green, boy. <laughs> but dude, that dude is wild. I, there's so many of these like uh content creators and influencers that are just dude, I love watching their shit. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're popular, but like the Liver King, that dude is I mean, like you said, a lot of the shit he's Says is bullshit. I mean, he might Maybe. believe. I don't know. That's no. bullshit. Well, or no, not. no, may no. Maybe
1: true. I don't
0: know. No, no, I'm saying he believes in it. That's right. all that matters. He doesn't give a shit if he's anyone fucking committed. Yeah. That's what you got to respect. His commitment. His commitment. <laughs> he's <That's>... definitely committed. <laughs> that... Well, that's the deal with us. We have haters. I don't give a shit. We're gonna keep doing what we do, yeah. and we'll keep the haters. He is on a way bigger level. Gets people talking shit all the time. Oh,
2: he's got haters. Mm-hmm. And way bigger scale. Even Rogan article.
1: was
0: hating on him, which is surprising to me. Yeah. Well. And you know what? And you know what he probably said? Okay. Yeah. Like, who gives a shit? He probably
2: said, okay, liver king, out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, dude, I
0: love that. Love look. He
1: went to Africa. When he went out with his tribe, and he was out there hunting buffalo and shit. It's
0: fucking awesome. I bet he just ran up and ate the ass
2: of it. Just straight <laughs> wow, up raw. Boy, Took you. a big bite
1: out of the ass. Just like a hyena. Don't even kill the animal first. <laughs> hey,
0: if you see this liver king, I would love to have you on this podcast. I just want to just ask you about different random shit you eat. We don't even have to talk about workouts or nothing like that. I just want to s- see what you'll eat. I'll get the taint off a freaking ostrich
2: <laughs> and you can eat it. <laughs> and he'd probably tell you why it's good for yeah, you. Yeah, he'd be like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> You take the grundle off of an ostrich, you eat it, your hairline, just, which I definitely need. Oh, man, that
1: dude walks around barefoot, shirtless get the well, sun on your face. You don't wear sunglasses because he he wants his eyes to expose to the UV radiation. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like our ancestors.
0: Well, <laughs> I'm going to keep wearing hook and bullet. <laughs> <That's>, I, uh, <laughs> we,
2: we make propositions all the time to each other, like, how much would it cost for you to do this? I made a proposition the other day to Tanner. I said, how much compensation you never get to wear. You have to keep fishing, you know, the same shit you do now, but you never can wear sunglasses ever again your entire life. <laughs> Dude, you know how hard that would be? Please drop in
0: the comments (laughs) on the TikTok live right now. I know the people that are watching this on Spotify and YouTube, they don't give a shit. But the people that are tuned in live, drop how much it would cost for you to never wear sunglasses again.
2: (laughs) You think about it, dude. Like I'm wearing sunglasses every time I'm outside.
0: Dude, I was pissed because I left them at the shop today. We're fulfilling orders. Left the uh, glasses at the house. I was driving home, and I called Delaney. I was like... Ah, shit.
2: I forgot my glasses. I got those uh, hook and bullet sunglasses, man. They're freaking prime-ass sunglasses.
0: Go check them out. They are the new upcoming. They are legit. I recommend them to anybody. Good polarization for fishing? Oh, fantastic. It's fantastic. And we we know the owner, and I know this is, like, probably pre-ejaculation, but we are working with him on uh, doing a Bayou Dragon, like, hook and bullet glass and i am like die hard costa like i I love costas they bring quality content or apparel and everything but like these hook and bullets i I put them on i was like jeez
2: i wore costa for years and then um you know i broke I break, go through sunglasses like crazy. But I've had these hooking bullets now since we went on that offshore trip, yeah. and oh, I, I still got them. They're great.
0: If y'all haven't, if y'all don't follow him, Captain Ryan Warhol on TikTok, Instagram. He uh, he has a big part of that uh company, and he uh, he definitely, he's the guy to uh, follow and does a lot of offshore fishing. He actually just got back today from Mississippi. He just did a big, uh, I believe it's like a Bill Fish Championship or something. I don't, he said it was really tough fishing. I messaged him. And uh, we'll have him on the podcast here soon. But he was, uh, he said it was just tough fishing. Wasn't a, wasn't a lot of stuff, you know, brought in.
2: If he says it's tough fishing, it's tough fishing. Well, that's some bitch shit. Yeah.
0: Him and Robert, they, they, they know their shit. I will give them that.
2: I cherish the shit out of Robert, dude. That's a cool dude.
0: Yeah. He, uh, hopefully he was wearing a Bayou Dragon hat. He, we sent him some shit the other day. Yeah. He best, he just messaged me and was like, dude, that is the dopest hat I've ever seen. I was like here. Thank you for taking us offshore for three days and having a private chef cook
2: for us. Hell yeah.
1: But <laughs> not not to go back to the deep in the heart stuff, but um, part of it they, they film in the 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 coral reefs in Texas. I didn't know we had coral reefs. The flower yeah. gardens. Yeah. They got footage out there. I, I didn't even know.
0: Yeah, that, that's, where, that's where we've uh, I've caught swordfish out there and yeah. all kinds of shit. But like, that's where, you know, that's a hot spot for offshore fishermen for not Southeast sure. Or basically the coast of Texas. The flower gardens are huge. You go out, like, from different parts of Texas. You know, it might be different. It might be eighty miles to get there. It might be a hundred and ten miles to get there. You know, if you're going from Sabine Pass or Freeport or whatever. But that's from my knowledge. Most offshore fishermen are, if they're even if they're going out to like say Boom Bang. You know, it's a big rig out there that's a hundred and like sixty miles from us. We always stop at the flower gardens. Yeah, catch some meat fish or. Whatever, but we've done some swordfish trolling, like, and that was super cool. That we literally had pool noodles. I felt like I was catfishing. We threw them out. And we have like a line at 300 foot, we have a line at 400 foot, we have a line at 500 foot, and we have a line at 600 foot. And it's a literal pool noodle. And at the about three or four foot above the hook, you have a, a glow stick, you know, so whenever you're reeling it up, you can actually see whenever you're getting close. But, uh, like, that was super cool. That's probably the biggest fish I have ever caught. I caught like a hundred and that's probably about 150, 160 swordfish. And
2: they them. have a bunch of, um, there's several I guess laws, uh, regulations out there. You know, you can't, you have to tie up out there. They have buoys to tie oh, up yeah. to out there. You can't no, you're gonna, not, on the flower garden. I don't know if you yeah. can actually yeah. fish over the flower gardens. You might have to fish around them. I don't okay. know what all the regulations are. Well, no, are you them, just,
0: but, you're, there's going to be no like, no you're not touching them. You're not dredging okay. on them. You're not doing none of that stuff. Right. You can fish on top of them, Okay. but you're not you're not gonna touch them. Right. One because they're like 700 foot underwater. You know what I mean? It's not like the coral reefs and shit like um, in Australia or like even Belize. You know, Belize, got, yeah, real shallow. Really anywhere yeah. besides here. That's what people don't understand. Texas, like you have to go a hundred miles offshore to get to a thousand foot but you can go out of Venice and go 14 miles, and you're like, oh, I'm in 1,800-foot. There's shrimp boats going by me, you know? Yeah, It's, Texas has, for sure, like, there's a lot of stuff. Like you said earlier, Mitch, Texas has, you have to be a good duck hunter down here because you have to be one because it's hard. They've already, you know, offshore fishing's the same way. You have to travel so far to do it, you know? It's not a five-minute boat ride to go catch a sailfish or marlin or whatever the hell it's. Okay, well, here's two and a half hours of my life driving. Get out there, troll. You know.
2: Yeah, a lot of. I mean, the offshore fishing thing out of out of southeast Texas, it's a lot of. It's just the damn boat ride to get out there. You got to. I mean, depending on what boat you're in. It's hours, hours. Yep.
0: I've been every, I've been 160 miles offshore in a 27 foot boat. I've been 160 miles offshore in a 72 foot boat. So, it. Not my, not my cup of tea. <laughs> I'll stay in the bayou. Yeah. <laughs> stay in that sh- that shallow water. Yeah. That brackish. But that's a
1: cool thing about Texas though, mm-hmm. we got we got mountains, we got marshes, prairies, forests, desert, and we got coral reefs. Yeah.
0: We got we, everything here. We have everything. <laughs> and that's what people don't understand. And we almost have oh, well, I'm not gonna say every animal, but North America we have a lot. We got the main
1: representation of North American wildlife here. Yeah. We have the shit that'll kill you out here, boy. <laughs> yeah.
0: But anyway, uh, I think we're about to finish this up. I just uh, give a shout out to a couple of different people. We've been needing to, you know, start doing this. Was Floyd Fabrication? He does all our hats and everything. He's super great. Y'all check him out on social media. Sure Shot Game Calls. Mitch is wearing a shirt right now. We do a lot of work with them. We're gonna have some. We have some really exciting stuff to, you know, coming in the future with them, and uh, Snuff Cup. That dude's super cool. I don't know. I, I really don't remember his name. You, deal His again? name's
2: Matt Baker, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I know his first name's Matt. Uh, great guy. Makes yeah. a great spittoon, great product, yep. and a grinder. Uh,
0: yep. So that's like three of our people that we work with, you know, hand on, and we're going to get with more people. But we just appreciate everybody tuning in, and we appreciate y'all listening.